Welcome to Window of Opportunity, a Stargate rewatch podcast. I'm Carrie. I'm Rachel. And today we're talking about Stargate SG-1, Season 6, Episode 20, Memento. And not like the movie. No, this is definitely nothing like the movie Memento, which is also great, but not the same at all. But with us this week, I do have to tell you guys, we have a very awesome, super special guest. Everybody... Please welcome Rachel's nephew, Adam. Hello. Welcome, Adam. Thanks for joining us. Yes, hello. I had a very, I very enjoyed the show. Yeah. Oh, good. So, so fun fact, this is the whole second episode that um, Adam has watched. So he watched this with say. pretty much no context whatsoever. Yeah. So this is going to be fun to get somebody who knows nothing about Stargate to get their thoughts on an episode yeah. of Stargate. Yeah. Okay. Um, all right. So, as I said, so this is Memento. It originally aired on March 7th, 2003. It was written by Damien Kindler and directed by Peter DeLuise. And on the commentary, we have Damien and Peter. So in this episode, Prometheus is forced to land on an alien world where the local Stargate is the team's only chance of returning home, though the local population believe the gate to be a myth. Oh, man. So, Adam, what did you think of the design of the spaceship? It was very great. Mm-hmm. I don't think it was the best idea. It wasn't very rectangle. I like myself some rectangles. You like rectangular spaceships? Yep. Cool. Okay. Not even like the Enterprise? That was like circular. Maybe. Okay. I like my shirts. Okay. <laughs> Okay, so this episode starts with the Prometheus in orbit around a planet that looks like Earth, might be Earth. It's unclear where exactly they are at this point. And when we get to the bridge, we hear that uh, several Gould Hatak vessels have dropped out of hyperspace and start to surround the Prometheus. The captain orders general quarters and weapons are armed. Do you know what general quarters means? I don't, do you? No, I really didn't. No. Okay. So I looked at that because I was like, I never, I was never quite sure what that meant. So general quarters is an announcement that's made aboard a naval warship to signal that all hands, so everybody who is not engaged in an active task uh, aboard a ship must go to their battle stations, which is the positions there to assume when the vessel is in combat as quickly as possible. So they're going with naval protocol over... Like Air Force protocol? Yeah. So one of my questions was, okay, so is this crewed by naval people? But if you look at their, like the badges, their like name badges, they do say USAF. So they are Air Force people, but following naval protocol? It is something that they kind of talk about near the end in the commentary about like, it's a ship, but it's by Air Force people, but they're using naval protocol. Yeah, it's a little weird. Yeah, (laughs) that's weird. Do you think if this was a modern episode, it would be Space Force people? Oh, yes, absolutely. Yes. Yeah. This would, yes. If this was taking place today, it would 100% be Space Force people. Space Force. Yes. And everyone would be referred to as Space Men. Yeah. (laughs) Yes. Uh, So we then see a bunch of, like, crew running through the halls, and one of them almost knocks over Jack as he and Tilk, along with the rest of SG-1, as we soon see, are also on board the Prometheus at this time. They're there to assist in damage control, and Jack seems annoyed by everything that's going on right now. 
And Jack and Tilk make their way to the bridge, and we find out that this is all just a drill. There are no Hatak vessels. This is just a drill. And apparently, they're always running drills, if we go by what Jack has said. And Jack wants to talk to Ronson about some stuff, but Ronson basically puts him off and just kind of glares at Jack as Jack keeps talking until Jack's like, okay, fine, I'm leaving. <laughs> like, he finally gets the message. Mm-hmm. Which... I'm I'm kind of confused why Jack is annoyed and confused by like the orders that Ronson is giving because he's like, why are you telling them to like ready the weapons? They should that's his job is to be ready at the weapons. It's like because there's I don't I'm I'm very confused by Jack's confusion at what's happening. You know what I mean? I think he just kind of felt agitated that he felt useless. I guess. But he just I don't know, he was like just more snarky than usual for no discernible reason that I could see. No. So you think that's just kind of who they made him for this situation? Kind of. Especially given that like he and he and Ronson are the same rank. So I I don't know. I was a little perplexed by Jack's attitude here Mm. at the beginning. Mm. So Adam, the guy that's playing Jack uh, was the original MacGyver. And that is where most of the fan base for this show knows him from. Yes. Uh, Have you ever seen any of those episodes? No. They're good watching. Lots of awesome 80s hair. Yeah. I'll take note. Good times. Also, the guy who plays Tilk in the show guessed it on MacGyver. Oh, yeah. Oh, Adam had some opinions on Tilk. Ooh. Okay. Please tell us. I I was not a fan of him. He was very zesty. (laughs) I really didn't like it. It was like... Every time the camera would show, never liked it. I was like, why do you have to look like this? <laughs> he was never in a good mood. He should take a makeover. <laughs> <laughs> He's going to get one. He's going to get yep. one. Yeah. Interesting. Okay. Because usually people like to because he's just so calm and centered in Zen and like the voice of reason, but not so much for you. No. Yeah. No. Okay. Interesting. <laughs> Okay, um, so we come back from the opening credits and we see Jack talking with Hammond over a video link complaining about just basically feeling like he's in the way and Hammond has basically sent SG-1 on what it, we now learn is the maiden voyage of the Prometheus because they have the most experience with both hyperspace travel and the ship itself and like the trip they're going on apparently won't be too long so Jack should just buckle down and endure it because they're really just there in case of emergency and there really shouldn't be one because they're only going to be there for a couple hours. Uh, According to the commentary, the guy behind Hammond's shoulder on the video link is Damien Kindler and Peter's there too. You can't really see Peter as well, but yeah, both Damien and Peter are there in the background behind Hammond. Oh, there was the magical cameo? Yes. And there's another magical Peter DeLuise cameo, quote unquote, and I'll point out in a little bit. So back on the bridge, Ronson requests permission to start the mission, and off the Prometheus goes into hyperspace. Uh, Ronson is then walking through the halls with his second-in-command, and he orders diagnostics to be run and to set up a hull breach simulation for 0500 hours. Ronson then runs into Jack in the elevator, and Ronson's like, I get why you're here. I understand it's fine, and, you know, I also understand why you think you should be up on the bridge with me, but I need this crew to be able to rely on me and each other because you won't always be here. So I get it, but please stay out of my way. Which is perfect. Yes. 
So the ship then drops out of hyperspace when they shouldn't have. It's early. Something has happened. Uh, Jack calls to Sam and Tilk to meet him on the bridge. So everybody meets up there, including Jonas and Sam and Tilk and everybody. And the hyperdrive just shut down. There was some kind of massive power surge and the fail safes did their job and shut the engines down because Jack's make Jack makes a comment of like, Sam, you said this was work. This would work. And she was like, it did. It's not in the way you think it should work, but it worked because something bad happened. So the fail safes went, nope, and shut it down. So one of the things with the engine is that there is a buffer that's supposed to help manage the fluctuations that are caused by the instability of the Naquadria, and it looks like that buffer was somehow damaged. So Sam and Jonas went to go take a look, and Ronson tells them to take Major Gant, which is his like second-in-command, with them too. So down in the engine room, yeah, the buffer is completely fried. And Jonas had checked the sensor logs and finds that they passed through some kind of massive gravity wave caused by a collapsing star and the engines couldn't cope. The good news is that the engine is still intact, but they have no way to manage the energy output of the Naquadria and no way to calculate how far they're traveling in hyperspace so they could end up anywhere if they just turn the hyperdrive engines back on and go. Which is less fun. That is very much less fun. Yeah. Yeah. Would you like to end up just like anywhere in space? No. No. Suck. Not so much. No. No. Not a very good idea. So back up on the bridge, uh, it's kind of a dire situation once they've sort of dug down into what this means for the ship. So the buffer can't be fixed with what's on board. Sam likens it to a burnt out light bulb. You can't just fix a light bulb. You have to replace it. And they don't have a spare buffer on board. Uh, if they turn around to head back to Earth using just the main sublight engines, it would take years to get there, and they don't have the supplies for that kind of time in space. Jonas, though, has another idea. There is a planet, P3X744.3 light years from where they are, that is on the Abydos cartouche. The SGC has dialed the address in the past, but they were never able to connect to it. But... As Jonas points out, if it's on the cartouche, it had a gate at some point. It may have been buried, hidden, who knows. But if they can get there, find the gate, then they can gate back to the SGC, get the parts they need to fix the buffer, and be on their merry way. We find uh, it weird that they didn't have like the necessary tools and or parts to repair such essential things on the ship, especially when they're doing test runs on it. It does seem a bit like the thing that makes the engine work, you only have one of those. Yeah. (laughs) A a bit. I mean, I guess it depends on how complicated and how big the buffer is. But yeah, it does seem a bit weird that that's it. And if it fails, you're screwed, basically. And or stuck. Yeah, I just I found that a little strange considering it was it was a new ship and they hadn't really taken it out all that much. They didn't really know much about yes. the ship and also space. Yeah, you made that <laughs> you made that noticeable. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Like, that doesn't seem right. It does not. No. no. So the thing is it would take four months to get to that planet using the sublight engines, and they don't even have supplies for four months on the mission. So Sam's like, well, we can still use the hyperdrive. 
it's fine. It's it's a short enough jump that the instability of the Nequadra would be minimal. Short jump, little instability. It should be fine. So Ronson approves this plan and tells Gant to plot a course. So the Prometheus jumps into hyperspace and then drops out near a... It's, it's a very brown planet from space. It doesn't look very, like, lush and fertile like most planets we see. Not the ideal place to go for vacation. No, I don't think so. No. So they're in orbit, and they are at the planet they were aiming for, which is great. Not so great is that the reactor is going critical, and they're just going to have to jettison the Nequadria reactor and try and get as far away as they can as quick as they can. And that's not going to be that far, because only sublight engines... So they're really going to put the shields on the Prometheus to the test with this. So Ronson gets over the intercom to tell everyone to brace for impact. The reactor is jettisoned. It explodes and we see a massive energy wave pass over the ship. Inside, consoles start exploding and sparking. There's alarms blaring. A pipe bursts and gas of some kind starts pouring out as what always happens in every spaceship whenever something goes wrong. Tilk manages to like, get the gas thing stopped, and thing, things are not good on the Prometheus. Basically, the EMP from the explosion made it through the shields and took down the primary computer systems. The only thing that's operational at this point is artificial gravity and life support. Good news, no casualties have been reported, but bad news, no idea when they'll be able to get all of the systems back up and running. I found that whole routine after the explosion happened and everyone was in the ship and like trying Casualties. to figure out what Yeah, like it was very Star Trek y in, yes. in its routine of like, man, the system switch, we have casualties. Oh, 2.3 seconds later, everyone's fine. We haven't. Yes. Yeah, like there's no casualties at all. Yeah, it was pointed out um, if, if how can you know the casualties if, if they're dead? How can they report that they're dead? The haven't had time to look for them yet. Well, everybody's supposed to be at their battle stations, which means there shouldn't really be anybody off on their own. So the 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 supervisor of that area of the ship, if there's a certain name for that, please let us know. I don't know. Uh, could report in because there is a brief pause before Kant goes, no casualties reported. So it's like she and she kind of touches her like intercom earpiece thing like she's listening for reports from the various parts of the ship. And it's, you know, it's condensed for TV time. It was weird. It was way too quick. A little bit, yeah. Adam, are there casualties from downstairs? Usually. Okay. (laughs) See? Look, that's accurate news. Yes. Yeah. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. So, if all of the stuff being wrong with the ship wasn't enough, there are now what appear to be missiles heading in their direction coming from the surface of the planet. And they can't get out of the way because yeah, all of the systems are offline. They can't fire any weapons because all of the systems are offline. And they're due to hit the Prometheus in about three minutes. Not good. Yeah, no. not good. Yeah. Uh, so this is the other, my, my one fun fact, the the navigator's uh, uniform, the, the who like Ronson's in the middle, Gant is off to like our left, and then the navigator's off to our right. His name tag is Peter DeLuise, but L-O-U, so Peter got his name on the show because that's what he does. 
so usually this particular director, whenever he directs the episode, he does some sort of cameo or hidden thing. Hit, yeah. So everybody's trying to figure out, like, why missiles are heading for them and, like, what has happened. And it seems likely that this was just in response to the reactor exploding because it very well may have looked like an attack. And the planet could have, could have also suffered some damage from the EMP like the ship did. The only thing they are able to do right now is to open up multiple radio frequencies to try and broadcast and hope that somebody is listening. So Jack is on the comms. Instead of Ronson, I don't know why, but it's Jack for some reason. They kind of had him there for this particular reason as being the the head of knowing what to do when you encounter aliens. I get, yeah, okay. Yeah, that makes sense, yeah. Okay, yeah, so Jack starts pleading their case uh, over the airwaves. Uh, like, this whole thing was an accident, the ship is also damaged, They'd love to come down and meet who's there, but that's going to be hard to do if they've been blown up. And the whole time, every time Jack pauses, we just hear static in response. So we have no idea if anybody's actually hearing this. And But he keeps going on, you know, if there's anything these people can do to stop the missiles, that would be great. Fingers crossed. And then we see out the front window of the Prometheus and the two, missil- two missiles are shown getting closer and closer. And then they explode they apparently self-destructed. After a bit of a pause, we get an answer. Commander Kalfus of the Tigrian Security Force will send coordinates. And he may be a little gruff and uh, abrupt, but it's something at least. And Ronson does say he wants to get their shields and weapons online before they land. And they should have shields up shortly. Yay. Uh, so fun fact. Uh, so I, I will say a lot of my fun facts this episode come from uh, weird names not getting the red squiggle of spellcheck doom in word. <laughs> okay. So Calphus didn't get spellchecked. And I'm like, well, what's that? Would you like to know what Calphus is? Would you? Sure. Okay. okay. <laughs> so Calphus is a village in the municipal unit of Tritaya in southern Achaia in Greece. It's surrounded by mountains and hills full of pine trees. The inhabitants are mostly engaged in livestock husbandry and, to a lesser extent, agriculture. In the village, there are only two to three cafes. That's what the Wikipedia said. So I'm like, so this is a very small place. Um, uh, One particular site to go visit if you go there is the Chapel of the Prophet Elijah, especially during the Feast of the Holy Spirit. Uh, and in 2011, the population was 140 people. So yes, this is a very, very tiny island uh, within the, the the Greek country. Yes. Wait, so how many people is it again? Did you just, how many did uh, you just say? In 2011, there were 140 people. And Okay, so I'm actually surprised that they have two cafes and not just one. Oh, I think it was, it was three? Two to three. It says two to three. Yeah. That's actually a really big number for that many people. Maybe one's a breakfast place, one's a dinner place. <laughs> okay. And if there are three, one would be like a Starbucks. Yes. Maybe one, maybe one's like a bakery. Does more like sweets. Yeah. There you go. So the ship has landed and SG-1 are getting ready to head out. Jonas reminds Jack about Kalfus's name and that the planet is Tigria. Jack's like, got it. Because I think by this point, Jonas has learned that diplomacy... Might not be Jack's strongest suit, apparently. Mm -hmm. Um, 
Also, Sam mentions that she's been scanning for Naquita on this planet to see if they can try and find the gate. But so far, there's been like nothing that they found. So SG-1 rings down to the planet. So the Prometheus has like ghouled transporter rings, which is super cool. Which is super cool. Yeah. Uh, And we also see there's like guns with like blimps uh, supported by like blimps of some kind, like aimed at the ship. It's it's very interesting and cool technology. Like, Mm -hmm. I don't know, like floating guns. Cool. I thought there were balloons with guns. Mm -hmm. Yes. Some kind of. Uh, airship, I think they said in the commentary, airship guns, something. Yeah, balloons, blimps, something. Basically, there's there's floating guns, which are cool. Yeah. Jack starts to introduce himself and the team, but is interrupted by Kalfas rather forcefully telling them to put their weapons down. And it looks like, I think he means business. So Jack's like, okay, everybody weapons down. So everybody just, you know, unclips all of their guns, puts them down. We cut to a city, and it seems like these people are at least on Earth's, like, technological development level, if not maybe a little more advanced. Like, these are definitely not people who have been oppressed by the ghouls recently, at least. Right. Which is interesting to see. Uh, As they head into, like, a conference room, Jack thanks the leader for saving their ship. And the leader, his name is Ashwan, says that there was just something in Jack's voice that he trusted. And also knowing that their ship was damaged did help convince him that it really was actually an accident. Would you like to know what Ashwan means? I was just about to ask, did Ashwan get the squiggle of death? It did not. Okay. Uh, So Ashwan is a boy's name of Sanskrit origin that means expressive, harmony, or cheerful. Which which I think actually works for this guy. Mm -hmm. It does, yeah. Kalfas isn't so convinced that this was all an accident at this point. And these two seem to be in a bit of a tiff about, like, the seriousness of the damage to their planet slash city. Cities, still unclear about sort of how far the damage went. But Ashwan is like, whatever damage has been done is nothing compared to meeting people from another planet. This is all, like, super amazing to him. He's, like, awed and, like, these are people from another planet. Oh, my God, this is awesome. Yeah. So which which uh, which camp would you be in if you met people from another planet that unwittingly caused damage to your city? Would you be like, eh, you messed with my city? Or would you be like, oh, my God, aliens! I'd probably be Team Ashwan. Oh, my God, aliens! Yeah. I, yeah, I'd agree, because, mm-hmm. like, I haven't seen your life form on this planet besides humans and animals, like so, aliens. Yeah, yeah, so if you met Ashwan's an alien, but he, like, time. cut out your electricity, you'd be like, yes! That'd be fun with that. Mm-hmm. I mean, the alien may not come back, but electricity might probably will. <laughs> that is a very good point. That is excellent, yes, yes. So Ashwan then asks what Jack meant when he said that their planet held the key to their being able to return home. And Sam does a little sort of techno babble stuff. And then Jack's like, we'd like to borrow your Stargate. And they're both like, I'm sorry, our what? So Jack explains it rather inelegantly. And Jonas shows them like a picture of it. And Kalfus recognizes it and calls it the Ring of the Gods. And then Ashwan and Kalfas both tell them that this thing is a myth. There's never been any evidence that such a thing actually existed. Sam asks if they could take a look at their historical refer- records, and Kalfas shuts that down hard, 
once this meeting is done, SG-1 are going back to their ship and they're going to stay there. And Ashwan adds he'll send over some basic historical data for them to look over. Kalfas does not like that, but Ashwan just ignores him and says if they can find evidence of the Stargate being a real thing, he will be glad to help them find it as a show of good faith between their two worlds. So I found it interesting that they immediately said it's a myth. There's no evidence that it ever existed, but they they know it's a thing. Exactly. They knew what the picture was and they knew it had a name. Well, I mean, I guess if you think about it, there are symbols and things in our past that are like, did that actually exist? Like, you know, Bigfoot, like if they showed an image of Bigfoot and they said that was a myth. Like, how would we react? Yeah, exactly. To us, Bigfoot is a myth, but if somebody showed us a photo or a picture and was like, we're looking for this guy, we know he's a thing, we'd be like, no, he's not, but (laughs) we know he is. So there you go. All right, I guess that's true. Okay. (laughs) So after SG-1 leave, Ashwan and Kalfas continue arguing for a little bit with Kalfas being much more cautious and like, what if the past is buried for a reason about this whole thing that's going on? And Ashwan... He just, he wants to help because, oh my God, there's people from another planet here. Let's help. Which is a good idea. Yeah, I think so. Uh, a bit later, up on the Prometheus, we see Sam, Jonas, Tilk, and some other crew members, but not Jack. Uh, they've been going over the records, and then Jack comes in, and he's like, okay, kids, what do you got? And they they have nothing. There is nothing. There's no archaeological data. There's no artifacts. There's no indications of any kind of ghoul technology, which is very weird because, as Jack says, the ghoul are basically a bunch of litter books. They just leave shit wherever they go. It's, how is there nothing? Mm. And Samden mentions there's nothing in the record that's over 300 years old, which is not enough time for how advanced these people are. Even with Jack's comment of maybe a year is longer here. Uh, I know, uh, finally. It's always yes. my thing when they always talk about time Ugh. in space. I'm like, how do you know what an hour is? You're an yes. alien. So either the Tigrians are hiding something from them or their entire past has been erased. Hmm. Cut to sometime later, Jack tells Ronson that he has invited the Tigrian officials for a little dinner and a tour of the ship. And Ronson is not happy about that. But they're hoping that in exchange for this like dinner and tour, they'll be able to get into the main archives so they can maybe find some actually relevant information. Which would be uh, nice. Yes. After a bit of arguing, Ronson finally gives in. Fine, they'll have a barbecue. Jack's like, we have a barbecue? <laughs> you then picture um, a barbecue being on a spaceship. Yeah, it's I, like, how, 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 what, what? That would be yes. cooler, right? It would. Spaceship barbecue? It's like, yes. Over here, and he like pulls up a table. <laughs> <laughs> An in table barbecue. Oh, that would be awesome. That would be awesome. That'd be great. Yeah. So it seems like Jonas and Tilk have been granted access to the main archives. We see them in like a library of some sort, looking through books and things. And we learn here that SG1 have been to 133 planets, which This is the 130th episode, so apparently there's only three planets we haven't seen them go to. Is that related to the times you've actually noted that they mention a planet name that you're like, no, we haven't been to this one? There, yeah, somebody, 
Let's see. Somebody where, which one is somebody that? Had somebody figured that out. Somebody did figure out. Let me, I know I bookmarked that somewhere. Let me see which one it is. Ah, here we go. Okay. Uh, several of the unseen planets being P3A575, P3X595, P2J3X1, the first trip to Madrona and the first trip to Juna. Although those two, like the first trips weren't shown on screen. I don't know if the 133 is really accurate. Hmm. Uh-oh. Okay. Yes. So, because there's reference to at least five. Well, no. They said, no, because they've been to Madrona and Juna, which we saw those on screen, though not their first trips there. And then there's three planets that we didn't see them going to at all, but were apparently referenced at some point. So maybe that is fine. Okay. Okay. They actually reference that stuff accurately. Yes. So that actually does work out. So, yeah, 133 works out. Yay, yeah. sci-fi nerds. Yay. Somebody on staff was actually paying attention to something. <laughs> Yay. <laughs> um, and so, okay, so they've been to 132 planets, and Till continues that, like, yes, on every planet, there's always been some kind of evidence of the origin of those people, like, who who their ghoul was, who their god was, like, temples, ruins, something built in their honor of whoever brought those people there. And so there has to be something somewhere here. Also, Jonas and Tilk are being watched. Not very slyly, because he's very obvious about it. That's probably what I would do if I was trying to be stealthily watching somebody. So, make a scene? I totally would. I would knock over things. Yeah. I'm not very stealthy at all. I wouldn't do that on purpose. I would try to be stealthy, and I would knock over things. Uh, Oh, just completely on accident. Yep. Oh, okay. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, I'm just that terrible at being stealthy. Awesome. Okay. Mm -hmm. Well, good to know. So if anybody ever sees Rachel out there in the wild. (laughs) (laughs) Chances are I'm not spying on anybody because it wouldn't work very well. (laughs) (laughs) So back on board the Prometheus, we are sort of like in the middle of the tour. And they do mention that the hyperdrive technology is mostly alien and because Sam says, like, it's one thing to build a ship, it's another thing to make it fly across the universe. And uh, the Tigrians question their use of Nequadria, if it's so unstable. It's like, well, because Earth doesn't really, there, there, there's no substance that exists on Earth that has enough power to do what a hyperdrive does. So we use Nequadria and try our best to keep the instability in check. Which, you know, didn't go well on this first trip. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, Ashwan then asks sort of, you know, what they would say if people mentioned the fact that the Prometheus is a military vessel. And Jack's like, well, it is, but mostly for defense. And Ronson then joins them here. And there's a bit of a thing between like Ronson and Kalfas about like weapons and each party assuring the other they would never fire weapons unprovoked. Never. No. Defense only. We're cool. It's all fine. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, just like, you know, there's massive gun batteries pointed at the Prometheus, but they're only there should the Tigrians need to defend themselves. Like if Kalfas and Ashwan don't appear at a certain time to report to specific people. Well, let's continue the tour then. No, that doesn't happen. Let's wrap up this visit. Yes. Back at the archive, Jonas and Tilk have been following the man that was following them. And this man is Professor Tarek 
Solomon. And there's sort of a funny thing in the commentary here where the name was just written as Solomon. And the actor was like, how do I pronounce that? And so they just do the alien thing of putting the emphasis on the wrong syllable. So instead of Solomon, you get Salomon. Come make it alien. It sounds too close to salami. A little bit. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. A little bit. Uh, but this man is a professor of mathematics at the university, and he he wasn't really following them because he was curious about them because they were like, you could have just come say hi. But no, he believes he can help them find the Stargate. What? It's now dinner time on the Prometheus, and they're apparently having like Salisbury steak and mashed potatoes. And there's a little conversation about the food have being frozen like thousand millions of miles away and stuff. And it's like, this this isn't like the best they can do, but they weren't really expecting important visitors on this trip. So please pardon our not so great food. Yeah. I did like how they prefaced that. Of, We're sorry. This, <laughs> we know this it's yeah. Like this isn't our, but we can do better. We just, we weren't expecting this to happen. So yeah. sorry. Uh, Sam then politely asks about the fact that their history only starts 300 years ago. And according to Ashwan, prior to that, there was a long and horrible dark age. And any record of whatever happened before then was just destroyed. There's nothing. And they talk about that and, you know, Earth, our history, and these people treat history. And Ronson does that thing of, like, on Earth, we study the past. Sort of implying that Earth is better because of that, in a way, which is a little like, "Mm, eh, eh." Uh, and Kalfas says that nostalgia is a sign of weakness, and Sam then attempts to break the tension with, surely both points of view are equally valid, and let's toast to history and to the future. Well, I found it interesting with that point of view of nostalgia is weakness, because then why would they be recording history at all? That's true, yeah. Mm-hmm. You said that, but, like, why would you still have history then? Exactly. But I kind of agree. Nostalgia can be weakness, but uh, if that's the case for your planet, then why wouldn't you just delete all history entirely? Yeah. Very good point, yeah. So after the meal is done, the Tigreen delegation is being escorted out when Jack asks if it's still necessary for the guns to be pointed at the ship. And Kalfas just asks in return if Ronson wouldn't be doing the same thing. And Jack's like, hey, I guess you have a point there. So Ashwan tells Kalfas to go ahead and he'll be right behind. And then we have just Ashwan and Jack there in the hall on the Prometheus. And Ashwan convinced, confesses that he hasn't had the most support since coming into office. And Kalfas has been gaining a bit of a following. And Jack's like, so us being here isn't really great for you. And he's like, not so much, no. But Ashwan still wants to help them find the Stargate because he does think it would be a great benefit to his people. Back in Tarek's office, we rejoin Jonas and Tilk there, and it turns out this guy has been collecting, like, actually ancient artifacts that he believes will help them find the Stargate. He's got, like, scrolls and stone tablets and tchotchkes and just, like, a whole bunch of stuff, including a necklace and items that reference Horus, who Tilk knows as the Gould Heru-Ur. We know as the Gould Heru-Ur. 
They then have to do the whole thing of explaining who slash what the Gould are and that the Degreans weren't created by Harrower, but were kidnapped and enslaved and like all of that good stuff. And <laughs> Tarek doesn't seem to like question that, even though he's apparently secretly believed slash worshipped Horus slash Harrower for a long time. And he's just kind of like, oh, okay. Yeah, this is this is the first time that the Stargate method of explaining the the enemy of the show like actually works. Usually they show up and they're like, your entire belief system is rubbish. It's not true. Everybody that you think is your god, they're actually evil villains. And they expect that the entire planet's just going to be like, oh, OK. And it never works. But somehow this one actually did. And the guy was just like, oh. Yeah, which again, I still don't quite believe why Tarek wouldn't be like, wait, what? What? Why he he just immediately is like, oh, okay. I mean, this is something he's seemingly believed for most of his life. He's not like, wait, what? No, you can't. No, please explain more. Right. Give me more. It's it's still weird. It doesn't quite work for me. Still, like I get TV time is the thing, and I had to just go with it, but. Yeah, it was still just a little abrupt from Horus is my god to he's not. Oh, okay. Like, okay, fine. Okay, fine. Yeah. Anyway, but Tarek apparently gets over that really quickly and then shows Jonas a scroll that has some writing on it. And on that scroll is a pictogram of the Stargate. Yay! Jonas is able to decipher some of the writing, and it says that the gates can be found, quote-unquote, in the Great Desert to the north. And Tarek is like, ah, the wastelands of Anur. So, time to take a field trip. Anur was not spell-checked, in my <gasps> word. Oh my goodness. Tell us I about Anur. I know. Okay. First, uh, in the commentary, Damien Kindler mentions that the people of Tigria were supposed to be descended from the Assyrian culture. Way back when, because of, like, you know, the stuff that's in Tarek's office. Okay. So, anyway. So, Anur. So, in early Egyptian mythology, Anur was a god of war who was worshipped in the Egyptian area of Abydos, <gasps> particularly in Thinus, 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 mm, pronunciation sure. unsure, please excuse me. Um, one of his titles was Slayer of Enemies. And due to his position as a war god, he was patron of the ancient Egyptian army and the personification of royal warriors. At festivals that honored him, there were mock battles staged and all kinds of bloody things happened in his name. Uh, Anur's name could also mean a sky bearer. And due to the sort of headdress that he wears that's shared with another god, Anur was later identified with Shu, becoming Anur Shu. And when he is identified as Anur Shu, he is then also known as the Son of Ra. Oh, man. So this is tying into all the other stuff we've talked about. It does. It ties into, like, the movie. It ties into everything. It's fantastic. No oh, man. So, so there you go. That's, so that's Anur. So uh, cut back to the city. Ashwan and Kalthus are arguing about letting SG-1 go to the desert of Anur. And Ashwan is all for it. Kalthus obviously is not. And we get that sort of whole tension between diplomats and military people thing that happens a lot in shows like this. And Ashwan is like, there are people from another world here. They need our help. This is amazing. And Kalfus is like, we don't know what they want. They could be doing recon for an invasion. Blah, blah, blah. But Ashwan doesn't care. 
These people are asking for help, so Ashwan is going to help. This could lead to an amazing relationship between their two people, and if they do find the Stargate, that would also be amazing. It would open up the universe to them. Kalfas is sure it would just open them up to more enemies. But it doesn't matter. Ashwan has made up his mind. SG-1 are to be taken to the desert. Both of those things could be true, which is what makes it interesting. Yes. Very much. Yes. Mm -hmm. I mean, we know which one is true because it's SG-1, but... Mostly one side has been positive, one side has been negative this whole episode. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So we then see Jonas, Tilk, and Tarek in the desert along with some, like, military members of the Tigrian society. And they're in the middle of some ruins. And Jonas points out where the Stargate should be based on, like, what that scroll said. And we crossfade to later in the day. And they've been digging for quite some time when Tilk's shovel finally hits something hard. Just goes over, they start like digging, 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 like with their hands, and it's the cover stones. So Jonas starts like brushing the sand aside, and there's some writing that's revealed. And it says, Here lies Chapa Eye of Heruer, false god to the people of Tigria. May they never know a day like that again. <laughs> the Stargate exists, it's real. Yay! And like Tarek is so excited, he's like, It's a thing, oh my god, I was right. They didn't seem to bury it that deep, though. Not really. So it's kind of amazing that they never had found it. But I guess they weren't really looking for it. No, I mean, it was in the middle of a desert in the middle of some ruins. So Yeah. And I like how they magically find the right piece that tells you exactly what it is. Yeah, they they do acknowledge that in the commentary. Like, it's very (laughs) convenient that they uncover the specific piece of the cover stone that tells them specifically what this is. (laughs) But again, TV logic is at play. Mm-hmm. So We then get Tilk radioing back to Jack at the ship that, you know, the, they believe they've uncovered the Stargate. Great, but they're going to need some help moving it, so Jack will talk to Ashwan. We then cut to a montage. We love a good montage on the show. It's fantastic. We see, like, you know, the cover stones being removed. We get, like, locals there helping in the progress. Sam is working with Tilk to uncover the DHD, which looks to be intact, which is great. And then as all of this unburying and revealing is going on, Kalfas is back off to the side somewhere, hidden behind some boulders with a bunch of other soldiers watching this, looking annoyed and upset and just like not happy with what's happening. But then as the sun sets, the Stargate is raised and set into place. And it's just, it's so cool. It just, it like, it harkens back to the movie where that happened at the beginning of the movie and it's happening again here. And it's just, it's one of the coolest shots. And I'll always love seeing like the Stargate being like raised into place. It's just, it was very cool. It's so cool. I love Mm -hmm. it. So time to give it a go. Jonas dials in the address for earth on the DHD the gate engages, we get a kawoosh, we get the people of Tigria being startled by a kawoosh because they have no idea what this is, and then suddenly we get bullets hitting the sand, like, right by their feet, and the camera cuts over to see Kalfas speeding towards everyone in a tank, and they're like, what are you doing? Stop this, what are you doing? And he's like, I'm taking back what belongs to my people. But you didn't think this was a thing. I don't... Mm. 
there was a very weird thing for him to say because it's not like bit. they were going to try to steal it. Yeah, I have. When we get to like a scene coming up a bit, I have thoughts and questions and concerns about like what Kelphis says. Oh, okay. All right. Anyway, Sam and Jack are trying to get Ashwan to get Kalfas to stand down because word has barely reached back about what has happened, like at the site where the Stargate is. And Ashwan has ordered that, but Kalfas just won't. He's just basically ignoring Ashwan at this point. And Ashwan is hesitant to arrest Kalfas due to the loyalty that he has amongst the military people. Sam's like, we do have the Prometheus. Huh? And Jack's like, there's still massive guns pointed at it. But luckily, Ashwan is the one who selected the person who's actually in charge of those guns. And he gives them his word that the Prometheus will not be fired upon. Okay. Mm-hmm. So Kalfas and his men have everybody that's at the Stargate basically held hostage at this point with their like hands bound. They're on their knees. And Jonas and Tilk are trying to convince Kalfas that they don't mean any harm. They won't return with an army to, like, conquer them. They want to be friends. They'll even teach him how to use the Stargate. And Kalfas is like, oh, yes, you will teach me how to use the Stargate. Is that what you were going to talk about? Because that's also very, very weird. No, it's it's the next little bit. But it is a bit like. Well, because I'm pretty sure that he would have just wanted to bury it again. I, yeah, it's like, why Why do you want to know how to use it? To, like, do you want yeah. to go out and conquer? Like, what? Like, I, I don't, like, from this point yeah. on, I'm unclear about Kalfas's motivations for what he's doing and saying. Yeah, it it so, like, yeah. so many unanswered questions. So many. Didn't it yes. seem like he was just going to want to bury it again? And then it just cut to yeah. the next scene. Yeah. Weird. Mm-hmm. So back on the bridge of the Prometheus, Jack is there with Ronson telling him what's going on. And Ronson doesn't quite believe that they won't just be immediately shot out of the sky as they try to take off. And Sam then comes in with Ashwan and his assistant. And Ashwan assures him that they'll be fine because he's on board. So he's taking the exact same risk as everybody else there. And if he didn't believe that everything would be okay, he wouldn't be there. Good. That's good. Uh, that's good for Ashwan, I'll say. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yep. So Ronson orders Gant to fire up the sublight engines and also armed weapons and prepare to return fire on his orders. And we see the Prometheus slowly rise and take off, but everything's fine. The guns are not firing at them. So let's head to the gate. Yay! We then cut to the Prometheus being in a position over the gate. And Sam, Jack, and Ashwan are getting ready to ring down. And they're like, are you sure you're okay to do this? And Ashwan's like, yes, it's good. This is something I should have done a long time ago. So they ring down to the surface. And then Jack radios back to only fire on his signal, which is mostly a show for Kalfas to be like, these guys, you know, the Prometheus has your six SG-1, as Ronson says. Like, yep. mm-hmm. yeah. Guns are ready there. So Ashwan addresses Kalfas and his, and tells him to let everyone go. And Kalfas is like, hold your positions. They can't let Ashwan hand over the gate to the aliens. This is my, like, does Kalfas think they're going to, like, take the gate with them? Like, what, like, hand over the gate to the aliens? What, what, what does, what, what does that mean? <laughs> I don't. They did, you, though, like, at the start of this, at the start of the show, they did say borrow, so, like, maybe borrow is, like, take and then give back. No? Oh, yeah, I did say he wanted to borrow it. 
But right. it, once he saw it and how big it was, like it, you can't, you can't just take it with you. Yeah. No. They also, they also explained like what the gate is. It's a transportation thing, so it's not something you take with you. It's something that sends you somewhere. And this is where my brain started going like, what is Calvis talking about? I don't. Yeah, that is very weird. He does keep talking like they were going to take it or steal it or take control of it somehow. Yeah. Not let anyone from the planet actually have it or use it or be anywhere near it. It was very strange. Yeah. I don't know. It's confusing. Anyway, Mm -hmm. uh, Ashwan then addresses Kalfus's men and like he's like Kalfus is good but cautious and like their ancestors he thinks the past should stay buried but if you don't know your past you can't know where you came from and you can't know where your future lies. SG1 and the crew of the, of the Prometheus aren't their enemies they're their long lost brothers. And he then walks up to Kalfus and says that he is relieved of his command and everyone will stand down. He starts to walk away and then turns back shouting, I said lower your weapons. They do. Ashwan then orders Kalfus to be taken away. So a couple men come forward, take his sidearm, and then lead Kalfus away. Cut to a bit later, SG-1 is getting ready to head back to Earth to get the parts that they need. And Ashwan assures them that the crew of the Prometheus will be their honored guests until they return. And they'll also hold a state dinner in their honor. Jonas thanks Tarek for his help, and Tarek thanks him in return. There's still so much about their history that they need to learn, and that's definitely something SG-1 can help with. So as Sam dials the DHD, Jonas is like, I think this guy's gonna get a bigger office. (laughs) The end. The only thing I think they would have, uh, that they should have also mentioned somewhere in here is... Holy crap, a spaceship showed up. We need to report this to the population or like the people or like it's very centralized within like just the president or, you know, Ashwan talking about it. Who is? Yes. I pictured him kind of as like the president of whatever territory that really was. Yeah. Like they'd get to like a different story. Yeah. Maybe if they showed like one scene of everybody reacting. Mm hmm. Yeah. Like the city at will. So what did you think? I think it was great. Yeah. Yeah. You liked it? Yeah, I liked it. Mm-hmm. Oh, fantastic. Mm-hmm. All right. Thank you for having me. Okay, bye, Adam. Thanks. Yeah. So we never see the Tigrians again. Which That's so sad. I know, because I, I kind of feel like these people could have been the new Tolans, because mm-hmm. they do seem slightly more advanced than Earth, but definitely more open to, like, actually sharing technology. Mm-hmm. You know, then the Tolans were like, we could teach them about the gate. They could teach us about what technology they have and what technology we have and blah, blah, blah. But yeah, no, th- 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 this is it. Boom. <sighs> yes. I was also kind of wondering when they were um, going over the the uh, the professor that had all the artifacts. Yes. Um, I was trying to determine kind of if he was keeping his artifacts on the down low because it was just kind of like frowned upon if you research stuff or if it was like actually illegal for some reason Mm. to try and you know look into the past but the fact that he actually then proceeded to help them actually find the gate and theoretically get a bigger office I was like okay so maybe it's just kind of like you don't talk about it it's kind of frowned upon yeah really likes it yeah, I got I got that feeling more than it's actually illegal. It's just like maybe not. No. Yeah, 
maybe yeah. we just don't go there today. You know, it's the kind of thing you don't talk about at Thanksgiving. It's fine. We're <laughs> here now. We're here now. Why do we need to know about what happened 500 years ago? It's fine because this yeah. is great where we mm-hmm. are now. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Uh, okay. So the episode title, Memento, uh, something that serves to warn or remind. Do you think that works for this? Like the Stargate itself is the memento mm. of their past? I think, you know, when you put it in that context of of the reminder, yeah, I think it totally works. Um, Because I'm trying to think of other, yeah, the artifacts would still be reminders. And I think it fits. Fantastic. Mm -hmm. Uh, We we do have a couple fun foreign territory titles. Mm -hmm. Uh, In French, this, this was called In Search of the Past. Okay. In Czech, it was The Witness of the Past. Oh, okay. And in German, it was just past. <laughs> there you go. Again, in German, just, <laughs> just gotten straight to the point. Before. Yeah. Before yeah. now. Yep. <laughs> okay, before we wrap up, we do have an email. <gasps> we do. We do. That's fantastic. Okay, so this is called Nightwalkers slash Anubis Gate Destroyer. Oh, okay. Okay. So, okay, so this email goes, hi there, my name's Jack. Oh, Jack. Hi, Jack. Hi, Jack. I love the podcast and have been catching up for a while. I I just finished your episode on Nightwalkers, and at the end you went over another email about the device Anubis uses to destroy the gate. Oh, okay, Yeah, you know, that hole with the, the stones and the circle and the power thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, it was well described. I liked that yeah. little. Thanks. <laughs> <laughs> the, the emailer suggested it might have originally been a device to fight off the Ori, which I thought was a great idea. But every time this device gets mentioned, it always makes me think of the Atero device from Atlantis. And how whenever the Wraith went into hyperspace, not only would their ship explode, but the radiation would also cause the destruction of a gate. The ancients stopped using it for this reason, which makes me think that maybe the original idea for the gate destroyer wasn't to explode a gate. But similar to to the Atero device, the gate exploding was an unforeseen side effect. So Mm. I'll admit, I had to go look it up because I did not remember this Mm -hmm. thing. So it is, so it's from season five of Atlantis. Okay. Um, and it's, it's start, it's sort of part, it's part of a two-parter where in part one, Daniel goes to Atlantis and there's this hidden lab by this ancient scientist called Janice, who was trying to figure out this whole like wraith thing and made what he thought was a weapon to disrupt wraith hyperdrive frequencies but Mm. the side effect was that it also destroyed stargates nearby oh yeah so i'm like that is very interesting yeah well i mean it does go with the concept then of the gould taking ancient technology and just twisting it around yes very much yeah Mm, could be could be i mean it's not a bad idea yeah it would be an interesting thought experiment then of what it was originally supposed to do, that that was the yeah. unforeseen side effect. Yes. Like, did they mean to destroy Wraith? Was there, were they trying to destroy Gould ships then? Because it, different galaxies, so different, you know, the Wraith are in 
the Atlantis galaxy, but this was in our galaxy. So was this something where they're trying to do a similar thing with like destroying Gould hyperdrives, but frequencies and stuff meant gates also got destroyed Mm -hmm. as a byproduct. Hmm. Interesting. Could be. Yes. I like that. Yes. Uh, he goes on, anyway, I actually have so many thoughts to each of your shows, but I kept myself, but I kept telling myself y'all would never see my emails or let alone feature a response, but the Atero device keeps popping into my head. So I figured I'd give it a shot. I mean, Jack, no, come on. Email us anytime. Email us every week. If you want, we always, we always love listener emails. We really, we really don't get as many as you think we do. We will, we will <laughs> definitely see your email. For sure. Uh, I've been a huge fan of SG-1 and Atlantis and the movies, but not Universe, since they came out. It would mean the world to me if y'all read this and could maybe give it a mention. Well, there you go. We talked about it. Jack. Here you Yay! Go. I like uh, it. Send thoughts. Uh, but if I'm, but if not, I'm just happy to keep listening and wanted to add that this is by far the best rewatch podcast out there. Keep up the great work. Oh, yeah. thanks. Oh, no. Uh, I'll definitely try to come up with more fan theories for you. Please do. We love fan theories and head cannons and all that crazy weird stuff. Yes, sure. the weirder the better. Yes. Uh, more fun talking about it. Yes. Uh, so that's Jack. Cool. Thank you, Jack. So thanks, Jack. Yeah, please keep writing in whenever you have thoughts about things or pop on the Discord. That's It's not the busiest place, but we're having some fun over there. It's great. So... Yeah, thanks for writing in. Yay. And thank you, everybody, for listening. As always, you can find us on threads and Instagram at SG underscore Rewatch. And on Discord, you can check for the link in the show notes. Or send us an email at whoop, that's W-O-O-S-G Rewatch at gmail.com. Don't forget to rate and review us, please. And we will see you next time for Prophecy. Bye. Bye. You've been to Greece. What do how how what's the cafe what's the cafe sort of culture in Greece? Oh man, don't put the on the spot. The ratio to towns. <laughs> well, from the one day I was there, I could tell you, I have no idea. Okay, I'll go ahead and edit that out then. Yep. Okay. <laughs> I don't remember. Okay, that's fine. You can leave so, that in. <laughs> I'll make my mind when I listen back. Okay. Okay. Uh, maybe I'll put it at the end as a blooper after the outro. Okay. <laughs> uh, okay. <clears throat>